Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May these thy people see less of me and more of thee until they see all of thee and none of me. Amen. Across chronological time, how we view time, minutes, hours, weeks, and months, there are key moments in the history of God's people where God intervenes in their lives. Kairos moments where the Creator condescends towards the mortal realm to create an opportunity for the seeds of the kingdom to take root and for lives to be transformed. Simply put, kairos just means the right time. We witness these kairos moments as a common people, as a nation, and as individuals. They can be positive or negative. They can be moments of great triumph and joy or moments of great loss. As people of faith, though, we believe in the living God. We know that God is not silent. We know that God is not watching us from afar, but that God is here. God is with us now, and we believe that God is still speaking. My friends, I believe that we are in the midst of such a moment that above the chronological time of these last few months, there is a larger, transcendent Kairos moment. And I believe that we cannot afford to miss this opportunity. We need to nurture what has taken root, see what God is doing, and hear what God is saying. Does anybody know the name Mike Breen or Michael Breen? Have I heard that? Well, Mike Breen is an English church leader, a minister, and an author who has been an innovator in leading missional churches throughout Europe and the United States. He's also worked with a number of annual conferences within the global United Methodist Church, including the North Carolina Annual Conference. Um, And his teaching methods were a large part of one of my courses at Duke Divinity this summer. Through using Jesus Christ as his primary example, Mike Breen identifies a theological path through these kairos moments and how we can make the most of God's continued intervention in our lives. So using Mike's methodology and theology, let's take a quick minute to put a few things under the light of Jesus Christ as it's revealed in the Gospel of Mark which is not our reading for today, but we'll get to that in a second. And Mark, and this screen's not lit up. The bulb has blown. It hasn't been replaced since we put it in, so we're going to fix that here for in the coming week or so. But in Mark chapter 1, this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark says that after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. The time is fulfilled. However God works and exists within our understanding of chronological time, 
The moment has come. Something has or is about to happen. The time is fulfilled. I think we can safely say that something has happened in our city. And if you think all the way back to the first torch-lit rally, and it feels weird to have to clarify that there has been more than one, from May 13th to now is a marked time in our chronological time frame. Not only in the history of our city and church, but also our nation. August 12th will be a day that our city and country will commemorate for decades to come. So the time has indeed been fulfilled. But it is in this time, in this larger Kairos moment, that the kingdom of God has also come near. As I said on August 13th, the Sunday after the rally, as horrifying and scary as everything was on that dreadful day, the thing that will ultimately stay with me for the rest of my life are the memories of so very many good people coming together in love to ensure that the safety, security, physical, and mental well-being of the most vulnerable and the most courageous among us was protected and honored. On the day when Nazis and white supremacists came to our town with their guns, cars, bats, and pepper spray, I saw the seeds of the kingdom of God take root in our city and in this church. And it filled me with hope. And as we will discuss this morning, hope does not disappoint. The kingdom of God has come near. So now what? Well, as Jesus points out, we must repent And believe in the good news. Now, I will not expand too much on repentance because that was last week's sermon. But Jude's letter called us to task and in many ways actually walked us through Mike Breen's suggestions for repentance. Breen suggests that in our repentance, we must observe what took place. We must step back and take in the fullness of the event, what happened and how it has impacted and affected us. He suggests that we bring this internal conversation to the outside world through sharing our thoughts and feelings because good decisions are seldom made in isolation. And it is through this open and honest conversation that we can gauge where we are, what has happened, and perhaps begin to think about where we need to go. I am thankful for the many members of this congregation who have guided me through the last few weeks. I am thankful for those who have aided me in my repentance process through their open and honest feedback. You know, through my participation in the clergy collective, I've gotten to know a few of the Quakers from the Friends Meeting House. They're wonderful people. And one of the best things they've shared with me is that friends speak the truth. So thank you for honoring my truth and for letting me recognize and honor yours. Now, once we have experienced and worked through our own observations, our reflections, and we've engaged in these discussions, Michael Breen explains that we must mindfully transition into believing, 
into action. He warns that we cannot let ourselves get stuck in just talking, because we'll talk all day. So, my friends, God is calling us into the action of belief as well. God is calling us to do something, something that will change the trajectory of our lives, something that will transform the world. And it all begins with believing the gospel, which brings us to our scripture for today. The Epistle to the Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament. It was composed by the Apostle Paul, and it is meant to explain that salvation is offered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the longest of his letters and is considered by many to be his most important theological legacy. So let's dig in together. Verse 1, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's whole letter to the Romans, again, follows a similar format to Michael Breen's circle of repentance and belief. Um, Paul spends the first few chapters discussing our sinfulness the righteous judgment of God. And he works to explain and prove that we are justified or that we are saved by faith alone. And so having done all of this in the first four chapters, at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul begins to outline what the fruits of this salvation might be. He's explaining to us what will spring forth from these newly planted seeds of the kingdom. The first fruit of our faith is peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll ask you again, who is Jesus? A peacemaker. Having fallen into sin and incurred the wrath of God, Jesus intervenes on our behalf, serving as a peacemaker, fully covering our selfishness and sin with his grace and justifying us Before the throne of God. Verse 2 It is through Jesus Christ that we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. It is not only peace, but grace that has been given to us. We are granted this grace not as an additional honor or privilege, but out of a deep necessity. Each of us who is called upon the name of Jesus Christ is surely justified by faith alone. But until we meet our maker face to face, we are all on a continual journey of sanctification and in need of God's continuing grace. For United Methodists, salvation is not a static or one-time event in our lives. It is the ongoing experience of God's gracious presence transforming us into whom God intends for us to be. John Wesley described this dimension of God's grace as sanctification or holiness. It is through God's sanctifying grace that we grow and mature in our ability to live as Jesus lived. As we pray, study the scriptures, fast, and worship, as we share in fellowship with other Christians, we deepen our knowledge of and our love for God. 
as we respond with compassion to human needs, as we work for justice in our communities, we strengthen our capacity to love our neighbors, our inner thoughts and motives, as well as our outer actions and behavior are aligned with God's will and they testify to our union with God. We are to press on in the faith. And with God's help, we are to press on in this path towards sanctification, towards perfection. Now, when Wesley says perfection, he doesn't mean that we would not make mistakes, that we would not have weaknesses, but rather he understood it to be just this continual process of being made perfect in our love of God and each other and removing our desire to sin. Now, Lord knows I have made my share of mistakes over these last few weeks and months. And I will pause here for the amen that may be forthcoming. And I have appreciated the feedback some of you have been willing to share. Like you, I hope to continue to be transformed. I hope to continue to grow and learn and change, becoming more perfect. Paul would later write to Timothy that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion. It will happen. And so it is through our faith, the justifying and sanctifying grace of Jesus Christ, that we boast in the hope that God gives us By faith alone we are redeemed and made whole. By faith alone we find peace with our Creator. By faith alone we can journey onwards towards perfection. And it is in this process of sanctification that hope takes root and grows into something that bears fruit. And that hope, the hope in what God has done, And the hope in what God will continue to do is something to boast about. But as verses 3 to 5 tell us, we don't only boast in our sharing of this hope, but we also boast in our sufferings. We know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope, my friends, does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Amen and amen. If we were to turn back to Acts chapter 5, we would read that the apostles were arrested. They were put in jail. And overnight, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and instructed them to go back to the temple and go back to their teaching. So upon learning of their escape and what they were continuing to do, the chief of police, along with the temple guards, went and brought them back before the council, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the high priest questioned the apostles, looking at Peter and the others, and said, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You are determined to bring this man's blood on us. 
But Peter and the apostles answered, deal with it. They didn't really say that. They said, we must obey God rather than any human authority. We are witnesses for Jesus Christ, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who will obey him. Deal with it. Naturally, they were going to kill them. (laughs) We will not deal with it. We're going to kill you. But thankfully, one of the other council members uh, stood up and said, no, don't kill them. Let's just beat them. So they brought the apostles back in and they flogged them. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. But as the apostles left the council, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. And every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. Worthy to suffer. The example set forth for all followers of Jesus Christ is one of suffering. One where we are called to pick up our cross and take Jesus back out into the streets to contend for the faith. And it is through this contention, through this struggle, that we increase our endurance. Steel is only hardened through fire. It is only when the boat is actually put out on the water when you see if it's going to float. So let me ask you something, church. Is there a struggle in our community, city, and nation right now? Is there a struggle? Yeah. Well, it is through this struggle through the hard work of repentance and belief that we will endure this storm and we will come out with greater character and a stronger witness for the faith that has been entrusted to us. And above all else, we will have hope. And as Paul affirms, that hope does not disappoint us. I have this hope. And I don't think I'm alone. In fact, I know I'm not. I know we are not alone in this hope. God has most certainly been pouring love into our hearts. But so too have our many brothers and sisters from around the country. Never would I have imagined the connectivity of our denomination to be so tangibly put on display. But I will tell you that we have received Hundreds of notes and packages signed by well over a thousand individuals and congregations from across the country. And I just want to share a small portion of these notes with you this morning. And yes, this is a small portion. The ones from the kids are the best. God loves all people. It's got little people drawn at the bottom. A flower. You did the right thing. Watch out. God loves me, you, and everybody else too. Got little happy faces drawn in there and hearts everywhere.
These are from La Fontaine United Methodist Church in Florida. Oh, and this one. You can't make this up. Jesus has hope. You should too. There's one from Kansas City. Our hearts and prayers are with you. May God continue to give you grace and strength for such a time as this. St. John's United Methodist Church, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Please know that your fellow Methodists are there to support you in your ongoing effort to spread love and acceptance in your community. Our church and our members are firm believers in inclusion for all, and we send our love and prayers in Jesus' name from Ellensburg, Washington. From Hawaii. (laughs) Thank you for fighting hate racism with the strength of a lion's heart. There's a lion on the front. You are not alone. We are standing with you. Love and support. From First United Methodist Church in Bowling Green, Ohio. I cannot imagine the tension and stress of ministering to your community at this time. Please know that the people of First UMC of Bowling Green, Ohio are praying for you. May you be empowered by the Holy Spirit to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. From Seattle, Washington, peace, wisdom, and healing be upon your leadership and congregation as you seek to bring healing and love to your community. As I sit in church this morning keeping you all in prayers, Those of us who live in Brandonton, Florida, are so sad for all the hurt that you are going through. May God bless all the people in the hospital and all who are grieving. This is a handmade card with seashells and stuff on it. It's just gorgeous. As the week progresses, my heart is full of gratitude for the example you have shared. My prayer is still that that they will know we are Christians by our love each and every day. You are in the heart of of a painful, hateful conflict. I've been hearing that your church has been a safe space and leaders in responding to hatred and violence with love and courage. I am praying for you that the Spirit will give you strength, courage, and wisdom. May your witness shine brightly. Your actions, both great and small, bring healing and restoration from Bee Creek United Methodist Church in Spicewood, Texas. Be messy complicated and afraid show up anyways we can do hard things i am writing to express my sorrow for what your community is going through and to let you know that you are being supported in prayer these are the these are the big ones this is from muncie indiana may your presence be a blessing and may you in turn be blessed May you educate those around you and help them to love, and may you learn and be loved in return. Let us not be disheartened. Let us be filled with the Spirit and let it show. Brothers and sisters of Christ, thank you for standing up for people that look like my family. I know that it is tough to stand up for the oppressed, especially when it means putting your own life in danger. Thank you. 
Brothers and sisters of God, College Avenue Church is praying for you. Thank you for standing up for people that don't have the same color of skin as you. God is happy that you are doing this for them, and I know that this is hard. Just keep this up. I can't even imagine how this must feel for all of you. Please know that there are people like us all over this country keeping you in our thoughts and prayers. It is frustrating that we are still fighting this. I hope in time your community will heal one day at a time and perhaps someday be stronger in peace because of the strength needed to overcome such an event. I will continue to pray for you. And finally, dear friends in Christ, I am writing to let you know that we at Avondale United Methodist Church, located in Birmingham, Alabama, are praying for you and your community. Having lived through the long, hot summer of 63 and the police dogs and fire hoses, as well as the 6th Avenue church bombing, we have endured the violence of prejudice and have felt the powerlessness of human beings but also the power of God through prayer. On a personal level, I am grieved and saddened by man's inhumanity toward man and am offering my personal prayers for peace and in the meanwhile, endurance. This This is the kingdom of God coming near and taking root. Almost 700 prayer vigils were held around the country and maybe even more when viewed on a global scale. We simply cannot go wrong with that much love and that much hope coming our way. My friends, this is the holy communion of God's church This is people of God coming together and sharing their intimate thoughts and feelings with one another, lifting each other up in prayer and boasting in the hope that we have together in faith. This is the connectivity and the power of hope that is on full display. But as we read in verses 6 through 8, it's not just about our communion with each other, but about our communion with God. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Lest we forget, and I don't think we will, the fountain and foundation of our justification and salvation are firmly planted in the death of Jesus Christ. That's why these words are literally written into the sacraments of our church. We will hear it next week when we come to the table together. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who died. Jesus is God proving his love for us. And should there be any doubt as to how much God loves us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
We can also note in these, ver- in these verses an explanation of when and who Christ died for. At the right time, Kairos moment. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus died for the ungodly, not just the helpless, the weak, and the poor, those who are marginalized and outcast, but also for the guilty and the sinful, for those who deserve to perish, not only the mean and the worthless, but the vile and obnoxious too. Christ dies for all who are unworthy of such favor with the holy God. And when literal Nazis are walking through our streets, beating people with bats, running over people with their cars, and threatening the lives and well-being of so many innocent people, this is a hard pill to swallow. This is a struggle. But sometimes the faith that we contend for is not an external contention, but an internal one. And I got to tell you, I am still building up my endurance on this. But if we tie this back to Mike Breen's thoughts, though, what is the first thing we do when we gather at the Lord's table? We confess, we repent of our sin. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Repent and believe. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are justified before God. Come and eat. Lastly, much more surely than now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. More than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It is because of Christ that we are justified and therefore saved from God's wrath. His body was broken so that we can be made whole. His blood was shed, reconciling us with our Creator, no longer opposed to God or separated from God through our sin. Our hope is fulfilled and our communion is restored. My friends, it is my continual hope that we will strive to live into the fullness of this Kairos moment that we will keep our eyes open to where kingdom seeds are taking root, that we will be aware of where the veil between this world and the next one is growing thinner, that we will keep our hearts and our minds attuned to the perfect will and love of our Creator and Redeemer, that we will hold ourselves and each other accountable to the hard and difficult work of justice and peacemaking, That we will speak as friends and family truthfully and out of love. That we will engage in acts of holy communion through aiding each other in our repentance and encouraging one another in our belief. 
as we journey together on the path of sanctification, we will stumble. There will be days and weeks when we take two steps forward and one step back. There will be sermons that get right under your skin. There will be emails that fly back and forth faster than a 747. But this is the holy mess that Christ has called us into. Even though it is difficult to endure, as verse 10 says, we will be saved. Oh, to be worthy to suffer. My friends, this is the struggle that will produce endurance. And our endurance will produce character, and our character will produce hope. And hope, my friends, hope does not disappoint. Amen. The last thing I'll, I'll share with you is that um, I want us to read a book. This book is called The Anatomy of Peace, Resolving the Heart of Conflict. It was recommended by Tom Berlin at our annual conference this past year. Um, it is being used by the Commission on the Way Forward, which is dealing with homosexuality in the church, but it applies to a whole host of issues. As Pastor Al's letter says, we have to come together in our diversity. How do we be the church together, given our different viewpoints? And this has been given to us as a tool through our denomination to help with this conflict. I'll read you the back cover for a minute. What if conflicts at home, conflicts at work, and conflicts in the world stem from the same root cause? What if we systematically misunderstand that cause? And what if we perpetuate the very problems we think we are trying to solve every day? From the authors of Leadership and Self-Deception comes an international bestseller that instills hope and inspires reconciliation. Through a moving story of parents who are struggling with their own children and with problems that have come to consume their lives, we learn from once bitter enemies the way to transform personal, professional, and global conflicts even when war is upon us. The most powerful tool I've seen for finding real, lasting peace in families, organizations, communities, and nations. This is given to us by our denomination, recommended by our bishop. It is my hope and prayer that we can all, as a church, in some capacity, read this book by January of 2018. There will be a pastor's book study starting at the end of September. I've talked to Carolyn McGee about having our small groups and Sunday school classes read this. There will be more information coming out about it. You don't have to get it all down today. There will be plenty of time for us to study and discuss this because we will still need to be the church. And this is a tool that will help us discern how to do that. Let's stand and sing together.